Hey y'all, before we begin, I want to make sure you know about my live parent workshops. One Friday a month, I host a live virtual parent workshop on topics related to raising neurodivergent kids and teens. We cover topics like how to talk to your child about their diagnosis, how to support negative self-talk, and navigating school for your child. You can register for workshops one at a time, or you can become an all-access subscriber on Substack for instant access to all the workshops and replays. To browse the workshop library and subscribe, go to learnwithdremily.substack.com and click Parent Workshops. Hey y'all, before we begin, if you're a school administrator who loves watching your teachers and students thrive, but you feel your staff needs more training to meet the needs of such a diverse group of learners, I am here for you. I am now offering professional development for pre-K through 8th grade educators, both in-person and virtually. For more information about pricing and scheduling, go to learnwithdremily.com schools to get started. Welcome to Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast where parents and teachers come together for neurodivergent youth. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, child psychologist and former school psychologist, and I am on a mission to help everyone understand that nurturing neurodivergent children isn't about changing them, but about changing us. Each week, I share my thoughts on topics related to child development, mental health, parenting, education, and parent-teacher collaboration. You can read more on my Substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com or listen here. So let's get started with today's topic. Today, we're going to talk about the top five roadblocks to effective parent-teacher collaboration and how to break through. So I know everyone comes to the IEP 504 or parent-teacher conference table because they care about kids. As a mental health professional, I work under the assumption that everyone is always doing the best they can with the resources they have at any given time. These resources might include what's available based on our finances, energy level, mental wellness, emotional regulation, or prior knowledge of any given situation. As Maya Angelou said, do the best you can until you know better, then when you know better, do better. And as Ross Green said, kids do well if they can. I believe adults do well if they can too, but our lack of experience or emotional dysregulation can get in the way, just like it does for our kids. I see this happen the most when parents and teachers come together in meetings to solve complex problems on behalf of students. All parents and educators want what is best for the child, but when it comes to supporting a child with a complex constellation of strengths and needs for support, within a group of children who also have their own constellation of strengths and needs for support, it gets complicated. I've attended hundreds of individualized education plan or IEP meetings in a variety of roles as a school psychologist employed by public schools, as a child psychologist in private practice working for families, and as a parent of a child who receives services through an IEP. Each of these roles has shifted my lens of how teachers and parents work together most effectively. I often say that being a parent has taught me more about child psychology than I learned in graduate school, but there's one exception to this, and that is school consultation. In my school psychology graduate program, I completed multiple courses on how to effectively consult with teachers about students' needs in the classroom, 
the first lesson I learned about school consultation is to understand that as a school psychologist, that is not my classroom. It's the teacher's classroom. I have had many ideas to share as a psychologist working with teachers over the years, but the first thing I say to them in a meeting is this. I'm going to share my ideas, but they may or may not work, depending on a variety of variables I know you are having to manage in your classroom, and I get that. Most teachers are so relieved to hear that they have permission to tell me if they think something that I've suggested just is not going to fly in their classroom. I've learned to stay open, stay curious, be collaborative in order to solve problems. Every person's perspective is valid, so we just have to push off from there. When I'm in an IEP meeting as a parent, I still experience my mama bear emotions on the inside but I operate as a professional on the outside. And finding this balance has taken practice and has always led me to better outcomes when collaborating with school staff. And I know these meetings have led to a better outcome for my child. So I wanna help you avoid these five roadblocks. I've noticed these get in the way of parents and teachers effectively collaborating over the years. And I just also wanna share some solutions. So here's number one. Making assumptions. So the most common assumption I see parents make is if their child is doing well at home, then they assume everything should be just fine at school too. But the demands of school can be very different from home. And each school year brings new challenges. So you may even be thinking, well, last year was fine, so this year should be fine. But you change up the curriculum, you change up the people in the room, and things can be very different. So... It can be hard to believe when someone comes to you and tells you that your child has done something in the school building that you have never observed at home or vice versa. So trust here is paramount. It's absolutely possible for children to perform certain skills at home that are different from school. Factors like time of day, structure, predictability, relationships, and interests in the activity all vary between home and school. So what is the solution here? The best thing we can do when we're met with a discrepancy between home and school is to figure out why it's working in one of the places, not why it's not working, but why is it working in one of the settings so that we can duplicate the success in the other setting. All right, number two, withholding information. When I was working as a school psychologist and a student had been evaluated by a child psychologist in private practice, sometimes the family would only share certain pages of the psychological report with the school team. I understand that some families feel very private about the things that are in their child's psychological evaluation, but having less information limits the understanding that educators have in order to connect with and support your child. Parents may also withhold information about stressful living situations at home, assuming that they're irrelevant to their child's school day or just hoping they don't have to share sensitive information. But our nervous systems carry around our stress from place to place, and children are no different. When a child is struggling and their teacher can't figure out why, often their next thought is to wonder what could be happening at home. How is their sleep? How is their stress? How is their ability to get things done. It all affects how kids show up to school every day. So if everything is stable at home after the teacher asks a few questions, then we need to get curious about something that might be causing stress during the school day if we don't know about it yet. So what's the solution here? 
I always recommend sharing all the information with all the people who will come into contact with your child. I know this feels vulnerable and I know that it can feel scary, but if we don't share all the information, then the adults interacting with our children are always going to be operating at a disadvantage. If you don't trust someone on your child's team, talk to the school administration about it because they want to help build trust and they want to help continuing working together than continuing to work with limited amounts of information. I want to say hi to all the teachers out there learning with me. Thank you so much for being an educator. I see you and appreciate you and how you keep showing up for our students every single day. In my work as a school psychologist, I know that it helps to have a way to stay organized when thinking about your students' needs. That's why I created two free resources for you. The regulation roster helps you notice how your students seek emotional regulation and keep track of it. And the reframing behavior worksheet helps you problem solve emotional dysregulation when it happens. For these free downloads, go to learnwithdremily.com slash roster or learnwithdremily.com slash reframing behavior to get started. Number three, leading with our emotions. So parent-teacher conferences, 504 meetings, and IEP meetings are all incredibly emotional events. Everyone involved is working hard to help children, but parents are often exhausted from their own job, parenting, and now trying to figure out why school is so hard for their child. And teachers are often exhausted from the demands of the classroom full of neurodiverse student needs and sometimes not enough resources to meet those needs. When everyone is working hard, feeling tired, but doing their best, it's easy to feel sensitive if someone asks you to explain why things aren't going well. Some parents feel they will get what they want by demanding it from school staff. I have never found this to work. How would you feel when someone demanded something from you when you've already tried everything you can think of? Emotional demands from others alert our nervous system to go on the defensive. We feel tense. We sometimes freeze. And no collaboration and problem solving usually happens in that space. So what's the solution? Interact with school staff as if you were in the workplace. Be honest about your emotions if you feel safe to do so, but just remember it's hard for others to grow if they feel emotionally attacked around you. So try some of these things. Write out what you want to say before you get in there so you can read it to them if your mind goes blank in the moment. If you're concerned that the educators you're meeting with need more training to understand your child's needs, speak to an administrator about it. We're all learning and growing, but we have to remain safely connected within relationships to get there. Number four, ignoring boundaries. At times, we as parents feel safer when we know all the things, but teachers don't have time to communicate all the things. As much as you can, follow the boundaries of communication that your child's teacher has set forth. There will be exceptions to this, of course, if your child is struggling more often one week than another week, but generally speaking, minding a teacher's boundaries is going to build trust. You can have boundaries too, so let them know. If you are at work and you need to receive an email instead of a phone call, you can have boundaries too. Again, minding boundaries will build trust. So the solution here is if you find yourself wanting to text your your child's teacher at 9 p.m., keep your questions in your notes app to share in the morning or draft an email and read it again with fresh eyes in the morning before sending it, especially if you're feeling 
sensitive about the topic. Number five, thinking teachers can solve all the problems. It's easy to assume that because schools have speech-language pathologists, occupational therapists, social workers, counselors, psychologists, that they should be able to help our children develop all the skills they need within the school day. But in reality, all special education decisions are related to helping our children learn and socialize within the school building. It's very possible that a child's IEP is successfully designed to help them at school, but doesn't provide enough support to help them make developmental progress at home or in the community. Our children's school success is just one part of their growth. So what's the solution here? So I always recommend to just share all the things you're doing for your child, even outside of school, with the school team. Communicate any additional support you're providing, share stories of progress you see outside of school, And this goes back to sharing those successes for positive problem solving. If something is successful at home or in the community, maybe school staff can figure out how that success can be replicated to support something that's challenging your child in the classroom. I know these meetings are hard and often long, and I know you sometimes want more than the school can offer your child. But just continue showing up in collaboration with your child's team and your child will be the one who wins. This has been Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast. For more resources, including both parent, teacher, and school resources, visit learnwithdremily.com or read my substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com. Also, we are publishing this podcast weekly, so make sure you're subscribed by pressing the plus, follow, or subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're using right now. This podcast is edited by EarFluence. All information discussed on this podcast is for educational purposes only. If you have immediate concerns about your child, please reach out to a mental health or medical professional. I'm Dr. Emily King, and we will keep learning together next week.